Okay, this morning I've got a, I've got a challenge. If when I sat doing it at the beginning of the month, I sort of planned out chapter by chapter, Ruth. And then we had, uh, last week, we had a little look at his dedication. And I realized it's a nativity next week, and we'll be into Christmas festive season. And I realized by 2023, after you've been drinking as much slower and eating so much food, you're really going to forget about Ruth in January 2023. It's probably too much of a stretch of an expectation. So I'm going to round up the series on Ruth this morning. There are still two, two chapters to go, but I'll bring us up to speed in just a few strong principles, I think, for the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a fantastic four-chapter book or a woman that was rescued in teen for grief, misery, and loss, and then God takes her, but she didn't even ken God's taking her on this journey. She has a connection with Naomi. She goes to the land of Bethlehem, but she's still a stranger, she's welcomed, even though she's a foreigner, she's from Moab, she would have spoke a bit different. Previous to that, she would have worshipped a different god. She wasn't brought up with Yahweh. She wasn't brought up with the, the lineage. She was teen from Moab. They used to sacrifice kids to idols. And I think it's a wonderful story as well. As I spoke on a few weeks ago, oh, accepting people that... It's just accepting people that don't think the way we think and don't dress the way we dress and speak differently. And we was praying in the prayer meeting on Tuesday for, there's a scripture in Isaiah 19, when God says the Egyptians will be a blessed people, that God would visit the Egyptians and their habitation or his presence in the Egyptian land. And we was praying for people in our community that have never been brought up right. We hear us, we hear us saying, they have no incline or Jesus stories. They don't care for it is to be washed in the lamb of the blood. They have never heard Elvis Presley sing how great thou art. They have never learned the Lord's prayer at school. They have never been to a place called Sunday school, as I was sharing in a prayer meeting Tuesday. I was brought up, my mom and my, my dad, uh, weren't they Christians, but you still went to Sunday school. I had a tie, it was a piano tie. It didn't play any music, it just looked like a piano. The keys, or a piano. It was my favorite tie, I used to put on every Sunday morning and go to a place called Sunday school. We are dealing with, I believe, a generation and communities that have no idea or inkling for it is to follow this Jesus. They didn't ken the Bible stories. They didn't heard of Noah. They only ken about David and Goliath and two people, two teams, playing a cup final. One's a massive team, one's a small team. And the commentator says, David and Goliath. And we have Ruth, if I was a Moabite, but she was accepted into Bethlehem as part of the harvest. And I believe that there's a challenge for church and church people. Or well, how are we going to respond to the Egyptians or the Moabites? They have never been brought up following the wise of the Lord. They've got to speak differently. How are we going to respond to them? Because we pray that God will send them, didn't we? 
and they're going to look different, and their language, look, if you spend 20, 30, 40 years in the world, you are going to speak differently for somebody that has been to church other days. Is that right? So if God sends people here, and they might say bad words, and they might drop some bad words into a conversation, how do we respond to that as the church? Do we judge them? That's not right. You can't speak like that. Do we manifest and lay hands on them and try and cast out the devils? Right then and right there. And they'll come in and they'll listen to the rock music. Or probably listen to Guns N' Roses in the Y here. They didn't care in your hymns. They will have Pearsons, are why, in places you might want, want to see Pearsons. Their favorite joke will probably be a rooting. They have lived 20, 30, 40 years in Egypt, in Moab, might come from broken homes, maybe have a broken heart. I believe the challenge for the churches. Maybe speaking prophetically, I'll leave that to, to other people to decide. How do you respond to that? Because Ruth the Moab, the Moabite, was able to join in the harvest. And it says in Ruth chapter 3 that she was still a Moabite. Ruth the Moabite went and joined the harvest. And the harvesters could have said, you're our enemy. You didn't think like us. You sacrificed kids. We didn't want to work with you. But the foreman says, and we see the kinsman redeemer through the story, Boaz welcomes her. Doesn't judge, doesn't put any expectation, just says, come on. And I want us as a fellowship. Some of you has been here five years. You've done your Alpha course. You've five, seven through the Y, maybe through the Bible course. And these people are going to be looking for examples. And a lot of love. And a lot of guidance. And if you've been here for at least a year, you should be able to go and to have patience and to love and have kindness and father them and mother them and explain to them the truth of the gospel. If you've done the Bible course, you will be able to briefly explain the whole story. Well, not just that Jesus came and Matthew and we celebrate Christmas because he came as a baby. But you'd be able to say to somebody that came in that has no inkling of why we do for we do or for Jesus is, you would be able to say why we needed a saviour. Take it back to the garden. Take it back to the fall. Take it back to the Abraham lineage. Take it back to God's plan for a people of faith to worship him. Take it back to how God put laws in place, but man in his own effort just tried to succeed, but just failed, failed, failed. And that's why we needed a Savior to come. We needed redemption. 
It's not just on me or leadership teams. These people need fathers and mothers in the faith. I'm not speaking about age. And I'm saying if you're over the age of 40, but some of you have been through the discipleship. It just can't for is, and have discipled yourself well, will be able to welcome these people and to teach them, and they will have their incline. They are starting for scratch. They are starting for their knowledge. They are starting for nothing. And we see a story here that she was welcomed. I believe that's a challenge for us, but we prayed, Jesus, would you send people that did not look like us, that did not listen to the same things we do, that did not speak like us or share the same sense of humor or drive the same cars or maybe have a car, or then abide in the same type of houses. But God, would you send them? And would you give us as a church, as a heart and a hand to say, come on, we'll show you. We'll show you the Jesus way. We'll show you the need for a Savior. We'll show you how we can transform your life. We'll show you the truth of the gospel, the truth of the world. And here we have Ruth. And she comes. But it's Ruth chapter 3, we left it. Ruth chapter 2, sorry, we left it. She's part of the harvest, but she is still Ruth the Moabite. And she's working the harvest, and this guy called Boaz, and you see it if you read it, they start to hear like a, you got a court in relationship. She starts fancying him, he starts fancying her. And then we hear, if we start at chapter 3, one day Naomi, so if you didn't have got the story, Naomi went to Moab. We are husband, because there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. There was provision in Moab. She went there. She lost her husband and her two sons. And Ruth came back from Moab to the house of bread to Bethlehem. We Naomi, but they're just biding together. They're both widows. But Ruth sets off and says, right, I'm just going to go to work. I'm going to go to the harvest. She meets Boaz. One day Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you. It's time for you to go. This in-law relationship has went far enough. It's time for you to go so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grand with his young woman. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. This is great advice. For people that's dating, even if you're married. And Naomi sent to Ruth, right, there's maybe something here between you and Boaz. This is for today. Go take a bath. <laughs> you may not date husbands, wives, when you were dating, and then you would have a bath before you meet. It's good advice. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. It's good advice. It's biblical advice. Naomi says, look, I can't a few things. About, maybe I want to give you some advice, Ruth. Then I go smell it. Then I go in your unwashed clothes. If you really want Boaz and for him to notice you, yeah, be clean. Hear a bath. Put on your nicest clothes. And psh- like Calvin Klein, or whatever the female version is, 
you spray that stuff on so that you'll go on and he'll take notice of you. Very good practical advice. When you're dating. I really don't get married so much after you get married, does it? Just looking at the, you know, take a bath. You really married, does it? Just take my, you're married as I was. Why do I need to look clean on the mouth? But you see, Boaz is hard because the men are like, look, look, wives, read Ruth, look for she hit today, like get clean, put on your perfume, nicest clothes, and then he had, she hit to go and sit at the end of the bed. So it's easy for the men to say, Ruth, you need to be like Ruth, take notes, okay? And this is how we treat a man. But also, if you look at the man, Boaz is such a heart and such a care and such a love for Ruth. Really, woman, take notes how to be a Ruth to your man. But us men need to be like Boaz to our wives. Like, we need to look after them, we need to protect them, we need to provide for them as well. So it's good advice. And then if it happens with, we'll never understand the last two chapters of Ruth unless you understand this term that keeps on cropping up in the Holy Spirit. So it's half the book of Ruth is dedicated to this word, kinsman, redeemer. It sounds a theological term. It sounds, okay, kinsman, redeemer. That sounds a bit wordy for us. Kinsman, redeemer. You'll never understand Ruth until you understand kinsman, redeemer. And you want to see Jesus fully in here until you understand. If it says right back in Deuteronomy, kinsman, redeemer was this. So say it was to protect widows and there was nothing really in it for the redeemer. So for somebody that had lost a thing, the families had been given a portion or land, a field. And so a woman that had lost a husband and didn't have kids, you understand that they would be left alone. They wasn't able to harvest the field. They couldn't make money for the field. They were just left with a problem, land. So God instituted this thing called kinsman redeemer. For it would be a close family relative they would have to be wealthy and available, but they could still be married. And then the widow would approach the kinsman redeemer and say, I am on my own. I'm poor. I've got some land. Will you redeem me? Nobody ever wanted to be a kinsman redeemer. There was nothing in it for the redeemer. Why would I want more land? And so the thinking was, so they could marry some relative, even if they had a wife, they could go, come together, have a child, the child could work the land, the land would remain in the lineage. Like, you've got to think of it like this. This was their custom. Didn't I think about for your situation? Because I don't want to be thinking, well, Elizabeth maybe think, oh, Kevin's cousins, like, <laughs> I'll be left with them. Like, oh, that's, that's, that's really weird. That's was the custom. It was to protect the widows. Maybe he's thinking, well, some of his cousins are really smoking hot and wealthy. Well, I'm stuck with him. I'll maybe get rid of him and get myself a kinsman redeemer. Did I think about your own situation? This was the custom that God had, a kinsman redeemer, to protect widows so that they could have lineage and the land would be looked after. For the redeemer side, nobody wanted to be a redeemer. They got nothing in return. Get another wife. You can't feel like it. It's got to cost you more money. And then they even said that, well, their kids might fake with my kids. This might not end well for us in the end. I've got my life sorted. Why do I want to put up with our, our problems? So, but this was a kinsman redeemer. So you understand 
Naomi saying, look, you need a relative. You need redeemed. You need a kinsman redeemer. So Ruth then went to Boaz in the middle of the night, a really rich guy that hid the field. He says, would you redeem me? Would you be my kinsman redeemer? Something between us. We're in love. I've had a bath for you. <laughs> like I'm obviously fancying you here. And Boaz says, well, by the letter of the law, I'm near the closest relative. There's somebody else that can redeem you. I want to redeem you, Ruth, but by law, I just cannot redeem you. So then they go to this unnamed person that Boaz just so happened to meet, and says, look, will you, and Ruth was there, would you redeem the land? And he says, oh, yes, I'll redeem the land. And Boaz says, all right, just to let you care, you don't just need to pop with the land. If you redeem the land, you've got Ruth as well. You'll have to marry Ruth and her kids with Ruth. And this unknown person says, I want the land, but I don't want Ruth. Therefore, I will not be the redeemer. And Boaz says, okay, can I mark an agreement with you? Since you didn't want Ruth, but you want the land, I will buy the land because I really want Ruth. Here with his Jesus as redeemer. He really wants you. He doesn't just want you so you can go out place card church and do stuff. The land. He really wants you. There's nothing really in it for Jesus. For can we give Jesus that he hasn't got? He owns a cattle in a thousand hills. He's near lacking provision. But Jesus is the heart of the Redeemer. Like Boaz, it says, I want Ruth. The land's in, it's a consequence. And so Boaz marks an agreement and says, okay, we'll redeem Ruth. And then we'll pick up a story at chapter 4, and then I'll give you a few principles. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she also became his wife. If we think as Boaz as this Jesus character, that he's wealthy, that he's fallen in love, and redemption is on his heart, and we have a choice to go other places, but Jesus says, I want to be your Redeemer. And fit does it look like to be a Jesus follower? So Boaz took Ruth into his home for his redemption, being at home with Jesus. Boaz would be her provider. Boaz would look after her. Boaz would give her grain. She started this story as a poor widow worker. Now she's at rest in the home of the guy that owns the field. For his redemption for us, it's not about working and trying to find satisfaction and working alone. Redemption is, Jesus, I am yours, you are mine. Your provision is mine. You look after me, you provide a grain. It's your presence in this house that makes my life a home. It's a hair and a heart that is at rest with Jesus. Amen. She takes, he takes this lowly Moabite woman and says, everything I have is yours. Everything I own, you're not just a worker, you're a wife. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to care for you. First redemption for us, being in love with Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. His, everything he has is yours. His Jesus rest 
Has Jesus got rest? Or is Jesus a panicker? If Jesus is at rest and I'm in his home, I can be at rest with Jesus. Does that mean I didn't have another anxious moment or another nervous moment in my life? No. It just means I found a place of rest. I can go to Jesus. I can be with him. His provision is my provision. He welcomes man as thing and you and as thing called relationship and redemption being with him forevermore. She became his wife when he slept with her. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the woman of this town said to Naomi, remember Naomi was near Ruth by birth. It was an in-law scenario. Said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. A total lineage change. A bloodline change. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi, please remember how this story started. In pain and anguish and loss. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. Remember, this is the same woman. that says, do not follow me. The Lord has raised his hand against me. Call me bar." Oh, that wasn't the end of the story, though. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him at her breast. She cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last, Naomi, Jesus love happy endings. Naomi has a son again. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather. What? The grandfather of David? Through this Moabite woman, poor. This is the genealogy record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Hmm. Yeah, relation to Alec, would it be? Alec Salmon? Oh, Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. That's a great story. And listen to this. In, in Matthew, sorry, my Bible's seen better days here. Matthew chapter 1. The lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior that was to come into the world, to seek and to save that which was lost, the only hope of the nations. Well, good news was wrapped up in Jesus. In verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Good Bible students, Rahab was a, a prostitute. The Bible says it. A lady of the night. This is the lineage of Jesus. Oh, he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. If you was writing a story and you was putting the Messiah, you would probably write it the best lineage possible. Your, your lineage for Jesus would be faultless. Your lineage of Jesus would be full of priests and kings and teachers and pure people. But here we see a prostitute, somebody that messed up continually, yet showed faith when the spies went to Jericho and says, Ah, hold on, I'll look after you while you're spying out the land. She was a hero. She's named in the heroes of faith. 
Yet she was a lady of the night. Boaz, listen to this, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz's mother was, was Rahab, the lady of the night. We, we see him and we see he's got land and we see he's got grain and we would never have thought he's history. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Boaz was the father of us, us Obed, whose mother was Ruth. It was the story it wouldn't have come to pass. Two main lessons I'll, I'll, I'll leave with you when I read this story. Two things that blow my mind. God's pure grace. It's all through it. Pure grace. That he would take this Moabite, listen to her story, grow it up. Growing up, she wouldn't have followed Yahweh. She wouldn't have went to Sunday school. She would have gone in false idol worship. She would have been a heathen. And then she fell in love with Elimelech and Naomi's child. And then her father-in-law died. Her husband died. She got a relationship with Naomi. And she goes undeserved, pure grace that God took her for there. And then through his sovereignty, she fell in love with Boaz, through working in a field. Then she had a child. And then she's found very closely related to King David. God's pure grace. What did she do, really? How did she deserve us? She moved with Naomi. If you go and underline everything that she did, effort, she went and worked in a field. She did what she could to get by. And then she approached Boaz as a redeemer and says, would you take me? And then just God's grace. Pure grace. What do we do? Is that Christian life? Is it 50% God, 50% me? How does it all work out? I would say 99% God. 1% my willingness to go to the field and my willingness to approach Boaz, to approach Jesus as a redeemer. The rest is him being found in his house with his forgiveness, his mercy, his love, his power in our lives. He just looks for our approach and our wilderness. He needs something. He cannot just mark people, follow him, and be Christians. You're near robot. You have a free will. He's looking for your approach. Will you come to him? And the rest is grace. And we see that this woman really, and I speak as a fool, because God might have found some other way, this woman gave the world David, that was to be the anointed king of Israel. This woman gave the world the famous giant killer that faced a giant while a hell nation says, this guy's too big. This young shepherd boy, David, with a sling and a stone says, hey, how dare he defile the armies of the living God? 
Amen. Ruth was my great granny. And he approached this and slaw Goliath, condemned Goliath, and the whole nation was in uproar. Ruth gave the world David, which means Ruth also gave the world Psalms. The Psalms that we read, the Lord is my shepherd, the things written in the middle of the night through David, the songs are praise, the songs are reality. Sometimes he was like, wow, people that can, the Lord are prospering. How does that happen? And she gave the world a king, King David. That would be enough. It's our grace. Who knows if God does after we're gone to be with him. Ruth was not there at the coronation of King David. But God is faithful. Who knows what will happen if we disciple one person in our lifetime. Who knows what they will go on to do. But by God's grace, he's promised us fruit. And if that was not enough, ladies and gentlemen, she didn't only give the world King David. She's found in the lineage of King Jesus. God would take us more about woman, lead her and guide her, look after her. She would give the world a savior. She'd be part of the story of salvation or redemption for the hell of humanity. How good is your God? How gracious is your God that he can take your life even though growing up you never knew him. Even though you didn't go to theology class. Even though you never knew the Bible stories. Even though your parents didn't ken him or wasn't taught you in the wise of the Lord that God could take you and you can give the world Jesus through the relationship with him. We're speaking in the next few weeks about gifts and sharing a presence and they'll be singing and dancing and activities and the greatest gift was given to the world was the gift. Oh, Jesus. But yet God would use you. Look at our story of misery, of pain. Do you believe that God would use you to give this world Jesus? Come on, work my mouth. Like, do you believe that God would use you to give this world Jesus? Yes. Pay in your heart, mark it in your spirit, that God doesn't just use pastors, preachers, and people that have been brought up in the wise of the Lord. God is in the habit of taking widows and people with messy backgrounds that have made a lot of mistakes, and for His glory, positioning them and his house, knowing him, and through your life, you can give this world hope, grace, mercy, forgiveness, answers, salvation can be birthed through you into this world, which means other people's lives get saved and transformed forevermore. You cannot read this story without seeing God's unlimited grace towards his people. You cannot outsend God. You maybe think, I went too far. Is God's hand too short to save? No. Jam came an alpha course. It ate a your all. And God saved him. He saved him for that life that he was living. He became the happiest guy in church and he gave us Jesus. And he gave us a smile. 
I don't care how I spoke to his family. I don't care how I spoke to his neighbors. If God can do it for Jim, he can do it for you. God's unlimited grace. You cannot read the story without seeing God's grace. Lastly, we've got redemption. It's a redemption story. Well, I need a redeemer. It's about grace. But God's sovereignty in your life. It astounds me when I read Ruth, the grace of the Lord, and how God really sees the beginning for the end and can position you to follow Jesus, to be at the right place at the right time. I was listening to a little snippet. John Hagee, he's got a guy, he's got a worldwide global ministry, right? I'm not worthy to tie his shoelaces. But I was listening to a little snippet this week. And an interviewer asked him, what was your advice for, for new believers? What would your advice be? He said, oh, we strong American accent. I'll let try and do it. I'll just make a mess of it. I'll probably go Jamaican on you or something. It'll probably sounds slightly Asian. But, and he says, my advice for new believers, find out what God's will is. Cry out for it. Ask him. And he will show you what your will is in the Lord. He will show you. And in that well, you will find provision and peace and the right people to come in that will put money for their movies and they'll believe in you and God will provide. And I sat here thinking, oh, I'm about a failure when it comes to that. I think Ruth was about a failure when it came out. And I think we've got a lot of disgruntled and happy Christians thinking they're outside God's will because he has now told them specifically for it is to be done for them in this life. As again, this is just my take on what he says and for I read in Ruth. When I read the book on Ruth, I see God's fingerprints are through the story and she had no idea that God was doing in her life. She didn't hear a Rima word, a burning bush, an angelic encounter, but yet God positioned her each step of the way. God has never promised you that He will tell you everything that He wants you to do in your life. I know a lot of folks saying amen. So I may be wrong here. Yes, we're led by the Spirit. Ruth shows me that if you have a heart and you are willing, you do not need to find out God's will for your life. God's will will find you. I'll say that again. If you're willing to be with Him, you don't need to panic. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to worry. Am I doing for he's asking or am I not doing for he's asking? You don't need to find out God's will for you. God's will will find you. I, I start to think again. This woman. Could have been upset at her situation. 
Hen lost dahing, being a widow, God didn't really seem to speak to her. There wasn't some divine path. He didn't give her a scroll to open and give her some special glasses to read. But every step of the way, she was in God's well. Because in the path, the best thing we can do sometimes is just trust Jesus. I am for I am. And I'm never going to get disappointed. And I'm never going to look at better preachers with bigger churches and think, I want that. I'm going to be satisfied. I am who I am in Jesus. I'm not chasing at the next move. I'm not chasing something bigger. I'm not panicking about how is it all going to work out. Because other people are doing so much better. If it's God supreme, well, I am just at rest. Because as I've got is the day. And I'm going to trust Jesus. He, if ever God supreme, well, is. He's got to get me there. And it's not going to be about my effort or me shoving open doors. God's well will find me. And sometimes that looks for people. If you need a burning bush to tell you, God will give you that. You'll be walking out on the desert one day, and there'll be a burning bush that's near being consumed, and he'll speak to you fair. If that's what you need, God will give it. If you need to see a rock split in the wilderness for God to get your attention, he's big enough he can do that. He might send other people into your life that will guide you, that will champion you. He can do that. He can give you a dream in the middle of the night. You can open up the scriptures and he can guide you. But when I read the book of Ruth, I have full confidence that God is sovereign in my life. I don't need to panic. I need to worry about him more. I can do if it needs to be done the day. And if yesterday I was meeting with a cool crew, playing a Belgar bus, I need to worry about one thing else next week. I just have to do that yesterday. And if the day is preparing a sermon, coming to a place of worship, between and Grattan Place, that's what I need to do the day. And then after this, I'll probably whack the dog quick. I've got an AGM to prepare for. Hallelujah. Praise Him. We're back here at 3 o'clock and meet some of you guys again at 4 o'clock and we'll go off of here 5 o'clock. Maybe you watch a bit of football this evening. Pray, pray with the kids and go to sleep. And then it's Monday morning and there's people to see. I haven't really got a long-term strategy things I need to achieve in the next 10 years because God has told me this is what he's promised me. Da, 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 da. I'm maybe glad God hasn't said this is five years doing a line for you, son. Maybe glad it's not 10 years doing a line for you, son. God is sovereign. <sighs> Relax. If you're his, you are exactly where you need to be. In his eyes. And even this little dude's the most excited guy in church. We 
in summer, is it? Like, if I say, God is graceful, he'll get you. You should be ass. A little youthful excitement. Praise the Lord. That he can take people and mold people and he can be in charge. And if I need to be a field, he can orchestrate. That can be a field. If I need to meet a boss, he can orchestrate. That I need to meet a boss. If I need to fall in love with the right person, I don't need to panic about finding the right relationship. The relationship will find me and we'll go together. And then what happens is they have birth and they get birth. And then through what? David. And then through what? Jesus. And through what? Getting the world. And it's just part of the redemption story. It's part of the lineage of grace. Part of God being sovereign in our lives. It's an amazing story. I hope you get something for the life of Ruth. It's not good God's bomb, God's booming voice. There's no dramatic encounters. There's not much euphoria. It's a story about a woman and God. She's the ink. And God's the pen, and he's writing a story about his redemption plan, his grace plan, and his sovereign plan. When I came, we're being used, but God is using us as we follow him. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship band up. We'll take up our offerings. have found us. We're in a spiritual battle. And when we proclaim truth as truth is, sometimes already come with a preconceived idea. And now that's gospel of good news. It sounds, sounds too good. And you'll still sit there and think, well, little old me, you that came, my, my background. And that's good for Ruth. Not me. Ruth part of the story. I'm not really part of that story. And then as truth is proclaimed. You see the parable of the farmer with the seed that the farmer goes, Jesus spoke, scatters the seed. But as soon as the seed is scattered, it says that the enemy comes in and in the picture form it was a bird and just picks up the seed. And although it was an initial rejoicing that, hey, some things might grow, then because a seed has been picked up for the enemy, it's very clear the enemy, the devil comes, as the truth is planted, the enemy comes to immediately uproot, and then nothing happens and nobody's changed and there's no fruit. But some things come straight away and there's great delight, oh yes, truth, rejoicing, truth, and then the sun comes, it's a picture of the cares of the world. And the lure of wealth can drag people away and snuffle out the fruit. I can, even as I'm speaking about Ruth, even as I'm declaring truth about God's redemption for you and being in his house, the truth of God's unlimited grace towards Ruth, the Moabite woman that became the lineage of David to give the world Psalms and Jesus. I can, as soon as I say these words, that the enemy comes, is a bird, takes a seed, and you'll still go out believing 
That's just a good story about Ruth. That's not me. That's not me. You know, when I'm speaking there just about God's sovereign, Arthur, you need to be. It's a story of heartache. Look at the story. Our life was a mess. A widow, she'd lost everything. She turned up in Bethlehem with nothing with Naomi. Yeah, that's a good story for Ruth. We get the end of the story. But if I say you put your sail in that story, you'd be like, but that's not me. That's good for Ruth. We see God's fingerprints through Ruth's story. But that's not me. And you feel so, no, but I have genuinely lost our thing. But it's near the end of your story. You are for God has placed you to be. To be in his home. And he gave birth to Jesus in people's lives. But I really think I need to pray for the seed. That plants on good soil. Then I forget the story of Ruth. Then I forget your story. Put your name in there. It's not just a story of Ruth. It's a story of Julie. It's a story of Gib. It's a story of Alexander. It's your story. When I got Boaz, we've got Jesus for a greater redeemer than any human instrument will ever be. When he purchases you with his precious blood and snatches you, everything becomes different. Your bloodline becomes different. Everything. Your genealogy becomes completely different. Even though he was not here, kid or there's people that will come after you that you've maybe discipled and through them there's a lineage of grace so you're just part of the story and you say little old me no I need to pray for the seed let's stand Jesus we pray we thank you that your word is seed but your desire is not just for seed your desire is for fruit. And we see the fruit of Ruth, King David and King Jesus and salvation. And yet, God, when we are here, the seed of the truth, we can see it applied to biblical characters. But so quickly, the seed can be seen first and we have no mechanism or faith to apply to the truth. So Jesus, we pray that the seed of the truth would plant it on good soil in hearts that are humble enough for the approach to say, yes, Jesus. That would say, yes, Jesus, I know my weaknesses, I know my life's in a mess, but I'm coming for the approach. And we pray that truth would land in hearts and there would be fruit to the gospel of Jesus that this world unbelievers need a saviour and you would take people for, like us for our streams of life take us together for such a time as this to proclaim Jesus to receive truth and to birth Christ and to broken homes and this community and to the lonely, and to the downtrodden, and to the lost. Give us the boldness, Jesus, and the faith to say yes and amen. I'm available. I might be a mess. I might have lost everything, but Christ, I am available. And we proclaim in the heavenly places that the bars of the enemy that would come 
to steal people's God dreams, to steal people's God's assurance, to steal people's truth. We command them to go in Jesus' name. The black birds of the air would be gone in Jesus' name and you would raise up a faith-filled, bold people that would recognize that they are chosen for such a time as this. They would trust in your unlimited grace. They would trust that you can transform lives and make us useful for the kingdom. They would trust that we are exactly for we need to be for the day. And you would grant us rest for our souls. And help us once again to fall in love with Redeemer Jesus. And show the world your redemption. For we ask it in the precious, wonderful, glorious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's raise our voices in praise and worship. We took up our offerings. If you haven't again prepared to give, that's perfectly okay. Let's worship.